Amen. It is exciting to be up here. Not even going to lie to you. Tonight is Wednesday, June 28, 2017. The title of this message is called Less Talk, More Walk. Hallelujah. So the Lord is working into me, iron into my soul. And I'm grateful for it because without it, there is absolutely no way I could stand here before you today. The Holy Ghost is something special. And when I look out to you guys, and it's, it feels weird being up here. <clears throat> when I look out to you guys, all I see is family. Family. I deeply, deeply love you guys. With, with, a, with a passion. I love you guys. And let's turn to numbers. 25. Oh, man. Some of you guys are really fast. Amen, amen. So, in the back of my pocket, I have my stones. There you go, Rob. Can I just see a raise of hands? Just demonstrating, showing that you have your stones. Amen. <clears throat> Nick preached a message before they left called AI. About not allowing these stones to be a millstone upon your neck. But to let these stones hit their mark to let them fly. I never knew the importance of the stone, actually, until the men's reload. When we talked about having a DCD attitude, when we talked about slaying giants, and the importance of our brother, us needing our brothers and our brothers needing us. So when I think about that, I think about Numbers 25. In Numbers 25, we have the nation of Israel completely gone astray. They've mixed and mingled with the nations, the Moabites, and picking up in verse 6. <clears throat> then the Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The reason this is going on is because a plague broke out. The Lord was angry, upset. Fire has gone out from the Lord. And so when we're picking up in this verse, the whole nation is weeping before the entrance to the tent of meeting. In verse 7, it says, When Fahana, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into his tent. Somebody said that escalated quickly. We have an Israelite man. Bring, this is incredible. We have an Israelite man in front of the whole nation in front of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel, bringing a Midianite woman into among their midst, just kind of strolling along, completely oblivious to everything that's going on, almost like he was a god to himself. 
And we have a man like Fehena, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. It goes on to say he took a spear in his hand, followed this Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Eleazar, or Fahanas, son of Eleazar, had a DCD attitude. What that looks like in my life is being at a grocery store, obviously getting groceries, and uh, <clears throat> here I am examining this Doritos bag that I, I probably shouldn't be eating in the first place. And I hear the Lord say, hey, you see that guy, that woman over there? I want you to go talk to him. Clear word from the Lord. Go talk to him. Go minister to him. Go speak to him. You know what I do sometimes? Lord, let me just pray about it a little bit more. Let me confirm that you're telling me to go talk to this person. When I've clearly heard from the Lord, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just the only person that does that. No? Okay. Just making sure. Let me just examine this Dorito bags a little longer and study the intricate design of this bag while I try to think and try to formulate the words that are coming, that are going to come out of my mouth when I talk to this person. I find myself in that situation over and over and over again. But when you have a DCD attitude like Fahenas, son of Eleazar, he did this in front of the entire assembly, in front of Moses. But just think about this. Do you think he was the only one that had a problem with that guy? Do you think he's the only one that had a problem? In front of everybody. People were weeping. I'm sure people were upset. But he's the only one that took action. What type of action do we need to take in our lives? On a daily basis. Not the action you took yesterday saying, Lord, look what I did in the past. Look what I did yesterday. But what are you doing now? He had such a zeal for the Lord that when you, when you have a DCD attitude, it's not something that you can hide. It's not something that you try to put away in the closet. It's evident to the entire world, almost like being spirit-filled. When you're spirit-filled, born of heaven, full of the Holy Ghost, you're dead to yourself. You're not worried about who, who's looking at you. You're not worried about those who need to take action. You're worried about doing exactly what God has put in your heart. And at LCM, we're about taking action. When thinking about this, about having a DCD attitude, I thought about Abraham in Genesis 14. The backdrop to this is the five kings are going to war with Solomon and Gomorrah and some other kings as well. And this is after the split between Abraham and Lot, their sheep and their herdsmen. They capture Lot, taking his captivity with his entire family. In Genesis 14, let's turn there actually. Genesis 14. Rob, you're a fast man. In Genesis 14. So this is after a lot has been taken captive. In verse 13, picking up in Genesis 14, 
one who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Merim, the Ararite, a brother of Ichor and Anon, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 318 trained men. Not 318 lackadaisical, limp-wristed men. 318 trained men. Because Abram had a DCD attitude, these men had a DCD attitude as well. They heard that, they didn't even have to hear. Abram heard, and then he told them, and they followed. How much more do we need to be in the same attitude as these men? To only hear, we don't need to know the battle plan. You say, go, Lord, I'm going. I'll find out when I get there. He called out the 300, 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And sometimes when the Lord tells you to go, it can be far. It can be very, very far where you're going. Take Turkey for an example. Pastor Eric, Elder Baj, Nick, Judah, Peyton, Gabe. The gospel of peace is on your feet. Watching that video from Pastor Eric is very, very encouraging. It's, it's like it stares me up knowing that these men have a DCD attitude, being completely wrecked, empty of themselves, going right into the heart of the beast, doing exactly what God has put on their heart. In the very same way, we have a battle to fight here as a church at LCM. If we can recognize that the gospel of peace is on their feet, it needs to be on ours as well. It needs, to be on your, it needs to be on your feet at work. It needs to be on your feet in the grocery store, at the gas station, wherever it is that you go, readily, being prepared in season and out of season. You know why? Because there are plenty of people around us. Like Pastor Wade talked about the other night at Foundation. We went to the men's reload. Went to Walmart looking for index cards and charcoal, correct? Not even looking. I mean, Lord have mercy on us. We weren't even looking to evangelize. Just to go get index cards and charcoal. We ended up following a guy named Caleb with a K. Have it had a horrible day. The day before, have, have, was having a horrible day when we arrived. Not even looking for God. But if we're going into Walmart with the intentions of buying index cards and charcoal and the next minute we're talking to a guy and he's spilling his guts, you know the Lord is working and we have to be ready in season, out of season. There have been plenty of times just me minding my business, wherever I am, maybe pumping gas or just at the grocery store, focused on what I want to do, going my way. And somebody comes over, says, hey, man, my, my leg really hurts. I don't know why I'm taking all these drugs. Just start spilling everything. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be an ambassador of Christ in this moment. We have to cultivate this attitude. We have to cultivate this spirit. When I talked earlier about Abram, 
pursuing as far as Dan. It says, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobab, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. Not only did Abram attack them, he drove them, completely drove them to another city. When you're facing an obstacle, when you're facing a situation, when you're facing adversity, it's not just good enough for you to, to drive it a distance. It's not just good enough for you to drive it where you think it needs to go. But you must launch it far from you. You must attack it, go after it, all that you have with a reckless abandon, and drive it as far from you. And that's what we see here with Abram. It goes on to say he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions. When you have a DCD type of attitude, this is the reward. Recovering all the goods, brought back his relative Lot and his possession. You know what I think about? Lot was the one that wanted to separate. And here he is getting saved. Wouldn't it make sense? After, being, after separating away from Abram, he was blessed through being with Abram. Goes into captivity. Gets saved by Abram, the one he's separated from, and then he still remained in Sodom and Gomorrah. Wouldn't it make more sense just to go back to Abram? Go back to the source? How often do we do that in our lives? When the Lord pulls us out of a situation, he confirms what he's spoken about in the past because he's a promise-keeping God. And in the moment, we feel it. We're excited. Thank you, Lord. And we go back to do what we're doing. And even yet, you see, you see the faithfulness of not, on, not only Abram, but you see the faithfulness of God? After Lot went back to Sodom, Abram is still saving him afterwards. It's almost like a mirror of your life and my life. Time and time and time and again, the Lord is saving us. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Turn to 1 Samuel 14. When I think about what we learned at the reload, having a DCD type of attitude, slaying giants, having the perfect stones, knowing the importance of your brothers, needing them, and you, you being a help to them. I need my brothers, my brothers need me. It's not something you practice one day or two days. This is a repetitious thing. I think about Pastor Matt earlier when he put up Romans 12, 1, offering your bodies to live in sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God is a spiritual act of worship. 
we actually read Romans 12, 1, all the way down to 2, it's like a four-step process. You're offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, as a spiritual act of worship. You're not conforming to the patterns of this world. That's step number two. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Step number three, then you're able to test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That cycle is, you do that over and over and over and over. You can't skip. You can't go from one to four. You can't go from two to four. You can't go from three to four. You have to go in order one, two, three, and four. Every single day in the very same way. A DCD attitude, a giant killing attitude, knowing the importance of your brothers to fulfill our righteousness is something you do constantly, constantly. We have to cultivate this in our church. I have to cultivate it in my life every day. The days when my body's, my body's weary, the day when it seems like the whole onslaught of hell is let loose, to still go after. You know why? Because God has never given me a reason, and he's never given you a reason to ever doubt him. In 1 Samuel 14, we have Jonathan, who is zealous. Picking up in verse 7. Actually, no. Verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan was zealous. The Lord put this on his heart when the entire nation was quaking with fear. He thought to do, he, he sought to do something about it. The reason I like this pastor so much is, is not because Jonathan said, come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. The reason I like this pastor so much is because he's speaking to his armor bearer. He's speaking to his brother. You have a man who is already a DCD type of fellow talking to another man who is a DCD type of fellow. You know what that produce, produces? Giant killers. Verse 7. This is the armor bearer's response. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you, heart and soul. You could say the armor bearer was a man of few words. You could say he was more about less talking about it and more walking it out. You could say he was completely wrecked, empty of himself, into the heart of the beast. I am with you heart and soul. LCM, I am with you heart and soul. Whatever promise the Lord has made to you, it will come to pass. When he told Abraham at at 99 years old that he was going to have a child, 
it came to pass. I am with you guys heart and soul. The reason I have this message, I was praying to I'm like, God, what, what, do you, what do you want to talk about? You know, what do you want to say to your children, your sons and your daughters? My mind was filled with scripture, filled with all sorts of stuff. Up until this very moment, prior to this day, this morning, everything could have been a sermon title. Everything. What I was eating, text messages, conversations I heard, everything sounded like a sermon title. But the Lord came through like it always does. And one thing the Lord reminded me prior to today, what this morning was, I got this. Sometimes we just need that reminder. The Lord has got this. He's a promise-keeping God. So although you guys are listening to this message, I'm really preaching to myself. Because you know why? I'll listen to this tomorrow. I'll probably listen to it the next day. To encourage myself. When the armor bearer says, I'm with you heart and soul, he was dead to himself. He was dead to his own desires. He was dead to his own dreams. He was dead to anything that he could possibly take hold of. But you know what he wasn't dead to? Killing giants. Sometimes we just need to have that giant killing attitude. At the reload, we went over our giants, and one of mine was intimidation. Being the first to pray, being the first to, to lay hands, to give a word. Intimidation slash fear. That's really what it was. It was fear. So I'm praying to the Lord, like, Lord, I need, I need, a, I need a stone. I need a stone to, to slay this giant of intimidation, Lord. I don't want this to hold me back. I need a stone. Exodus 4.12. Let's turn there. Hallelujah. In verse 10, Moses is talking about not being eloquent, never been good at speaking. Excuse after excuse after the Lord's telling him to go to rescue his people from the nation, from, from Egypt. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. When I read this, when I read this passage, what I think about is all the times I made so many excuses when the Lord was telling me to do something. But Lord, what, what, what about this and what about that? Now that I'm thinking about it, I had an experience like this in Malaysia. I was helping, helping a friend move, which is what we do here at LCM. We help people move. You also do it on the other side of the world as well. And so I'm helping this guy move, and he, he hires a driver to, to load everything into the truck and drive it to his new apartment. And the, dr the driver didn't speak much English. Very little. 
So we get to the house, we've, packed, we've, we've offloaded everything within the truck, and I feel the Lord staring at me. You know, ask this guy, you know, ask if you can pray for him. You know, and I'm there, this guy's just roaming around, seeming like the Lord's just placing him right in front of me to be prayed for. And I'm standing there less than the amount of feet it takes to where Pastor Wade is sitting, and I'm wrestling with this. I was like, pray for this guy. And I'm thinking about every excuse. I've never been eloquent, Lord. I've never been eloquent in the past or since you spoke to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue in this very moment. I had feet like cinder blocks in that moment. You know what happened? The guy got in his car and drove off. And even in that moment, I'm sitting there, should I run after the car? Just the mental gymnastics that's going on is unreal in my mind. And what it boiled down to was fear. Fear. But in verse 11, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I hear all your excuses. Yes, I hear them. But who makes man? Who, who gives him his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or make him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We were singing earlier about the Lord's, it's his breath in our lungs. If we truly believe his, his breath in our lungs, we should go everywhere he tells us to go. You know why? It's him. It, it's him. The verse that was my stone to this giant of intimidation and fear at the reload was verse 12. The Lord says, now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. He only told Moses one thing. He said, now go. You don't have to worry about anything else. When I studied this verse a little further, you guys don't have to turn there. When I started this verse, I was like, now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. I'm like, Lord, so are you going to, like, take, you know, my words and filter my words? And how, how is this going to work? And he brought to my mind Isaiah 55, where the Lord is talking about his words going forth and now returning, back, returning to him empty to accomplish exactly the purpose that he desires and to, to, to achieve what he sent it out to do. And the Lord's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to feel to your words. It's my words. And my words don't come back to me empty. They accomplished the desire sent it out for, and they achieved the very purpose. Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. You know what the Lord is saying he said to Moses? Hey, Moses, let's talk. More walk. Let's get moving. I only told you to do one thing. Go. And the Lord is telling LCM to go, and it's evident in the things that we're doing. When I think about that, look at the Brasso family. The Lord's telling them to go. They don't need a battle plan. The battle plan is being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's it. In the going, the Lord is going to help them speak, and he's going to teach them what to say. Do you guys believe that? Yes. Do you truly believe that? 
Let's demonstrate by our actions. Amen. Good work. So we talked about Jonathan, his armor bearer. <clears throat> his armor bearer was with him, heart and soul. When I think of men like that, I think about Joshua and Caleb. Very similar to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Out of 12 spies, they're the only two that came back with a good report. The only two. And the only two to go into the promised land. But you know what, though? When they, when they actually came back with that good report, it wasn't a matter of, oh, here's our report. Now bless us. Tell us how good we are. Reward us. They were empty of themselves. Did they see the giants like the other ten did? Absolutely. They saw everything the ten saw and yet said, hey, let's go after it. What do you need to go after tonight? What giant do you need to go after? The Lord puts us in situations that are so unreal that left up to our own strength, we'll be absolutely destroyed. You know why? Because if you can do it in your own strength, you don't need the Lord. So whether if it looks like work or family, it comes in so many different shapes and forms that the Lord knows it's going to overwhelm you so you can cry out to him, almost like a gift of weakness. I've experienced that in my life. Over and over and over and over and over. And it's a good thing. The reason the Lord is doing this is because he's working iron into our soul. You know why? So we can have a spiritual spine that's unbreakable. A spiritual spine that's unbendable. A spiritual spine that's unwavering and unshakable. The Lord is fortifying this church. And it's evident in the missionary work that we're doing and those that we're sending out. When I look out into the congregation, I see family. But I also see lion killers. I see men and women who are empty of themselves. But we have to go over it. We have to go after it. If you went hard the day before, go harder today. One of my prayers is, um, Lord, if I have this much fire now, I'm praying by your grace when I'm 60, the fire that I have then puts this one to shame. You know why? Because if I don't have the same fire when I'm 60, then I'm not standing firm to the very end. I see it in our elders, Elder Charlie and Elder Steve. I see, I see it in them, Elder Baj. The fire that they have now is putting the past to shame. The fire that we're supposed to have today is to put the fire that we had yesterday to shame. It's ever-increasing. We're supposed to be ever-increasing in all that we do, pursuing the Lord. When thinking about that, I mentioned Jonathan and his armor bearer. I talked about Joshua and Caleb. David, we can mention. There's another man I want to mention. 2 Samuel 23. Rob, I don't know how, how you're so fast, man. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, he has my notes. Has a copy of my notes. 
I need, I need to take Rob with me when I go and evangelize. So when I call out a scripture, he's there. Okay. David's mighty fighting men. Yeah, we love those guys, huh? I know, I know. And you know, you know who's probably coming up? <laughs> Before I get to that guy. Picking up in verse 9. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Aorite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Dam for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and stuck to the he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Struck down the Philistines till his hand <laughs> grew tired. You ever been working at something so long that it just your arm, your arm, or it's just, it's just completely gone, but yet it's just, it's just muscle memory. You just keep just pushing through the pain. His hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Some of you are fighting giants that seem to never go away, that keep coming back. And maybe your hand in here is tired. Maybe you're tired. But if you just let it freeze to the word of God, a great victory is coming. The promise is the victory. But you know what happens? Your hand will grow tired. Your legs will go tired. The mental gymnastics is going to happen. That's why 2 Corinthians 10 talks about taking captive every thought, bringing it to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Whatever does not align with the word, cast it out. When your hand is tired, let it freeze to the only thing that can deliver you, which is the word of God. It says that his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. How awkward would that conversation be? Yeah, I know we, were, we retreated and, and left you by yourself, and now we're here to, to collect the reward. The issue with those men is if they had a DCD kind of attitude, they would have stood right there with them. If they had a giant killing attitude, they'll still right there with them. Yeah. I can only imagine if they all had the same attitude as Eleazar. It would have been incredible. Incredible. When I think of Eleazar, <clears throat> I think about Benny Haya. <laughs> that guy's incredible. Absolutely incredible. He's, he's the, it's like the standard for DCD. He's the standard for killing giants, slaying 
Moab's best men, two of them, killing the giant Egyptian, going down on a snowy day to kill a lion. Ben Ahai is the standard. But there's, there are other men in the Word of God that I admire as well. Daniel chapter 3. Let's turn there. So we're talking about <clears throat> three men. I actually prefer the Hebrew names. Hananiah, Shedari. Nope, that's actually not wrong. Yeah, Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah. Also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. In Daniel chapter 3, you have King Nebuchadnezzar who erected this mega monstrosity of a statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. A decree is issued that everybody must bow down to it when the flutes and the lyres are blown. Everybody. Not a single soul is exempt. Everybody. You see that statue? When we blow this, drop to your knees. Let your forehead hit the ground. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't get the memo. They were left out of the email, I guess. So they refused to, to bow down. Could you imagine being in that situation? <clears throat> Everybody's standing there. The, the, the statue's there. They blow the, the flute and the lyre. Everybody falls, and they're the only one standing there. That escalated pretty quick. They stick out like a sore thumb. What's interesting about this, these guys, they're companions of Daniel. So when they refused to bow down, the astrologers went to go tell to their daddy, King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? So pick it up in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 3. This is, this is them speaking to, to, actually no, let's start in verse 8. At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree that we are bowed down to, or, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, lyre, Heart, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve you, they neither serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Yeah, there's no wiggle room for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this situation. They covered all areas. The decree that you issued, King, the flute, the, everything, the flute, the liars, everything that you said we should do, the guys that you said over your affairs did not do it.
what's interesting is you could say that that statue is a giant that they had to face. What do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in this situation? Let's find out. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zir, lie, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the burning furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What's interesting about this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't even there when they were being accused. Kind of reminds me of somebody that used to do that. Like an accuser. Hmm. So they weren't there. The king summons them, <clears throat> and what's interesting is he actually gives them a second chance. Nobody else gets that chance. Everybody else, they failed the first test, but he actually gives them a second chance and says, hey, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the burning furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? They've already faced the giant the first time. They passed the test. They refused to bow down. Here's the same giant coming right back. Just compromise Shadrach. Just compromise Meshach. Just compromise Abednego. Isn't that what your giant does? Comes back over and over and over and over. That thought that you took captive yesterday comes back again. You take a captive today, it comes back tomorrow. You have to learn. We have to learn how to continue to take those thoughts captive, continue to persevere to the very end. Here they are being tempted again to say, hey, bow down, burn your furnace. Those are your options. I think Kevin, King Nebuchadnezzar here thinks he's actually doing something good. Like, hey, guys, I don't, I don't want you to burn, you know. If you just, if you're willing right now, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, if, you, if we blow right now, you guys bow and let your heads hit the floor, you're free to go. But what a great compromise it would have been. We see this time and time and again when we see those in the kingdom who fall away, who stood firm the first time, refusing to bow down, but then again to face another situation. Again, to face another situation and start to compromise little by little by little. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually bowed down in this area, moving forward from this moment, talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, their whole life is full of compromise. Just think about that. Pastor Eric talked about it a couple of sermons ago. I should know, maybe like three weeks ago. We talked about the fall, fall, the fall of someone in the kingdom doesn't happen in a second. It doesn't happen in a moment. It's slow and steady. You see compromise in this area, compromise in that area, and just slowly but surely they find themselves trapped. 
But let's look at their response, though. This is why I like these guys. Kind of reminds me of Benaiah. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Wow, that is disrespectful. They completely removed the king part. That's a DCD kind of attitude. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Just let that sit heavy on you for a second. Have you been defending yourself in the matters there before you? We do not need to defend ourselves before you, before you in this matter. Verse 17. If we are thrown in the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we would not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. If you think about it, verse 18 is almost like their last words. But even if he does not, we want you to know. Let's, let these be our last words. That, O king, that we would not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In case he doesn't rescue us, just let it be known. Mark it down. Scribe it into a scroll somewhere. That we stood to the very end. It's almost like a threefold cord that's not easily broken. But we know the story. They're thrown to the burning furnace. The Lord delivers them. But the reason I like this so much is because not only do they have a DCD kind of attitude, you have to trace it back to where they got it from. Notice the turn there. Daniel chapter 1, when they're taken captive, as Daniel, as Shadrach, as Meshach, and Abednego, and they're being fed from Babylon, all this meats and all these different kind of things, right? And Daniel, with the wisdom, says he had an excellent spirit in him, asks his caretaker that's over him to, first of all, stop giving us this rubbish and just allow us to eat vegetables and water and test us after 10 days and see if our countenance might be different from the others. The reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can stand before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, O king, refuse to bow down. Oh, king, let, let it be known that even if our God does not save us, we will not bow down. The reason they can say this is because of Daniel chapter 1. They've seen the faithfulness of God coming through for them. Yeah. A DCD type of attitude, a giant killing attitude always starts somewhere. Yeah. Benahiah didn't wake up slaying lions from the womb. It starts somewhere. So when you're attacked individually, when your family's being attacked, when we're being attacked, when we're being attacked as a church, it's almost like getting punched in the nose and like, oh, I'm awake. Yeah. And they're going after it. That's right. But do we need to really be punched in the nose first before we go after it? Or should we realize that their soul staggering towards hell and we need to pursue them to stop them? 
I stand before you today as a man that somebody spoke into my life when I was in wicked sin. At a restaurant. Never saw the guy ever again in my entire life. I don't know where he is. But could you imagine the Lord is telling him, just like Moses, now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. He hesitates. And I needed that word. Where would I be? Where would you be? When I think of Pastor Eric, when I think of Pastor Matt, when I think of Pastor Wade and, and the sacrifice that these men have made out of their obedience and their faithfulness to the Lord because they love their king. I remember Pastor Eric was preaching a word in 2010. He says, there are people who belong to this church who are not here right now that the Lord is going to bring. You know where I was in 2010? Not here. <laughs> and to go back and listen to that message and actually be here is extraordinary. The reason our pastors, our elders, have a DCD attitude to continue to press us forward, and I shared this with the pastors. I said, when you guys are done, which you'll never be done, what we see in the church world today is some great man of God with his poster on, on the highway, and when he takes a step to the side, he takes a step to the side. And just cheers from the sideline and say, hey, disciple of mine that I hired somewhere, go, go after it. You know, lead these people. But you know what I see in our pastors? You know what I see in Pastor Wade and Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric? When it's their time to step aside, when they're leading us, when they step aside, you know what they do? They get right behind us. And they push. And they push. And they keep pushing. And they keep pushing. If they have walkers, they're, they're still pushing. You know why? Because the spirit that is in them, the spirit of prophecy, the Holy Ghost, to, to push us, to go after with all that we have. You know why? Because when we step out of the way, when we have 30, 60, and 100 fold of disciples, we don't stand on the sidelines and cheer everybody else. We get right behind them and push. We have to learn to push each other in this church to be being led by the Spirit. Because when I look at you guys, I look at the callings that the Lord has over your lives, and it's incredible. It's phenomenal. And we have to recognize that in each other. We have to be able to die for each other's vision. Let's turn the corner as we're making our way to the end of the sermon. Acts 20. We have Paul who is headed to Rome. And he's meeting with the Ephesian leaders. Picking up in verse 22. This is where my heart is for this church. This is where my heart is for you guys. He's speaking to the Ephesian leaders and it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
Can we go back to that verse again? I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. That's a blessing. Amen. It's a blessing to know what you're going into. It's a blessing to be led by the Spirit of God. To let you know up front, this is what it is. Not about being blessed financially, whatever. Not, not about being exalted in the eyes of your peers. But hardships and prison. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Next verse. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's where my heart is. I consider my life worth nothing to me. And I believe and I know that some of you in this room feel the same way. You consider your life worth nothing to you. When I think about Frank and Gabe and Ibrahim and Carlos who went to the Houston Gay Pride Parade, there's absolutely no way, not a chance, that you can go out there and do what we did, being led by the Holy Spirit, if you're full of yourself, if you actually consider your life worth something to you. You know why? Because we already saw that. We saw an example of that there. But when your life is, is worth nothing to you, and all you want to do is finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given you, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace, it should move you. It moves me. The reason I love this pastor so much is because in Malaysia, the Lord allowed me to, to witness to a coworker, and it was my last week there. She, she, she told me, she said, hey, you've been talking to him about the Lord and stuff like that. What if I don't believe when you're gone? What, hap what happens to you? What happens to me? And I told her, I said, well, first thing is, it's not that you don't believe, you're choosing not to believe because I've showed you. You felt it. I mean, you, 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 you've been crying this entire week in front of everybody, you know? And I told her, I said, when you first walked into the office, the Lord highlighted me to you. Highlighted you to me. Said, hey, speak to her. I didn't know what I was going to say, but without even knowing it, Exodus 4.12, now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. So I told her, I said, I end up talking to you. Now, if you choose not to believe, because I know that you do, but you're, you're hardening your heart. Your blood is not on my hands. But in that moment that the Lord speaks to me and says, go speak to her about me, and I choose to not go, and something happens to you, your blood is on my hands. When I went home that night, March 22nd of this year, just me and the Holy Ghost, just in the room, just hanging out. I started thinking about everything that's gone in Malaysia while I'm there, what the Lord is doing, the people he's allowing me to interact with and things like that. And I just broke down in tears, crying. It finally dawned on me. This verse dawned on me. 
that I want to live the rest of my life not considering it worth anything to me. I see that in our pastors. I see that in the Brasso family. I see that in our brothers who are in Turkey. The missionaries that were supporting in India. I, I see this all over the world. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Do you guys consider your life worth nothing to you? It's very, it's very easy to, to intellectually acknowledge scripture. It's another to believe it. The moment that we all start considering our lives worth nothing to us, it's going to be incredible. You thought we were on fire now. The Lord has so much in store for this church, in store for families, in store for the generations to come. It's absolutely mind-boggling, mind-blowing on an exponential scale. But the reason Paul was able to do the things he did is because he considered his life worth nothing to him. Facing hardship in prison that the Holy Spirit told him about. In Philippians 2, starting at verse 1, I think of Paul, I think about a man who loved his brothers. And who had brothers who loved him. More than half the New Testament is written by Paul anyways, right? Church after church, disciple after disciple, correct them, rebuke and encourage them, instruct them on the path of righteousness. In Philippians 2, I think about, I need my brothers and my brothers need me. You see the same thing in Daniel chapter 3. They stood firm. Verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, say nothing, nothing. out of selfish ambition or vain Conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Good word. This hit me like a ton of bricks this week. This verse: Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And I thought about you guys. I, I deeply thought about you guys. I'll prove it to you. Here's my notebook. Here's all your names written right here. Every single one of you. I wrote your names down because I was thinking about you. And at the, t- at the top of my notebook, I wrote John 15, 3. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
That's how I feel about you guys. I love you. And I wanted to see you guys win. I want to see you guys win in your lives, in your family's lives, in your children's lives. Because it's not about us at the end of the day. We have to set an example. I think Paul set a fine example on his way out. He considered his life worth nothing to him. You know what's so interesting about Philippians chapter 2? Can anybody tell me where it talks about in the word? About Jesus humbling himself unto a cross. Until death. Haptatic structure. Anybody know where that is? How about that? The verse leading into that is what we just read in verse 1, 2, 3. Put up verse 3 again. Please. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In verse 5 is where it talks about having the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And it, it goes right into that haptatic structure. Jesus had that attitude. He set the standard when he talked to his disciples and said that greater, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. It's very easy to say you, to lay down your life for your family. What about those that you don't know? What about those who belong to this church who are not here right now? There are some who are going to listen to this message who are not here right now, but they're coming. And we have to go after it. We can't compromise in any area of our lives. Wrapping up, Revelations 12, 11. I should turn to verse 10 in Revelation 12, 11. I mean, Revelation 12, verse 10. Sorry. I really want to see you guys win. I, I care about you guys deeply. Yeah, if you see me staring intently into your eyes during a conversation, it's because I care about you. I really do. And I've been, I've been rebuked by brothers I'm known for asking a question and not listening to the answer time and time and again. It's a giant that I'm killing Pastor Matt. This is after the great dragon, the serpent of old. Satan himself has been cast down. And it says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ for the accused of our brothers who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Next verse. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Almost like they considered their lives worth nothing to them. They. Can substitute that and say brothers. Sisters, the body of Christ, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Amen. 
They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Sometimes you just gotta read a scripture, just not say anything, just let it sit. You can never shrink back. It's not even an option. Because if we shrink back, wickedness abounds. If we shrink back, more souls are going straight into hell. Statistically speaking, on the world counter, it says approximately 155,000 people die every single day. 155,000. If we divide that number by half, we're looking at maybe 78,500. Let's just say half of the 155,000 are non-believers. Multiply that over five days. We're talking about millions. Can you live with that? I can't live with it. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You could say they had a DCD attitude. You could say they were facing the giants of all giants. You could say that they, the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters united by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, refused to shrink back because there was something greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Our final verse James 2, chapter 2. Come up here for a second, Pastor Matt. James 2. I love the book of James. <laughs> so, I alluded earlier to my, the sermon title that the Lord gave me, Less Talk, More Walk. This happened as I was leaving my house, one of our elders here gave me a hat, an LCM hat, actually. And written on the back of it, was James 2.18. Less talk, more walk. What's interesting about this, I was leaving my house, and the Lord highlighted this hat to me. I, I forgot to even set it on there. I said, hey, look at the hat. I looked at it, and I read it, Let's Talk More Walk, James 2.18. And it says, that's their sermon for tonight. What's ironic about it is, after reading that, I had to leave my house. I had to walk outside of my house. I had to put this into action. But picking up earlier in... I think it's verse 14 of James. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. Isn't that what the world does? Isn't that what we do sometimes? 
Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I got faith, brother. The Lord is good all the time. He's taking care of me. I'm blessed. A lot of talking and no walking. Experienced that at the gay parade, actually, in Houston. We're, we're preaching, and you have people walking by like, hey, man, brother, preach it. Never stopped. That's a good word. Never stopped. Let them know about the gospel. Never stopped to interact with us. Almost like Zacchaeus in a tree, acknowledging that Jesus was afar. In the very same way, they do the same thing. But what happens when the gospel comes to your tree? You have to make a decision. Zacchaeus made the right decision. Transformed his life forever. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I want this deep in my heart. Deep in my heart. If we only just believe these words, just truly believe it. Don't intellectually acknowledge it. Don't be familiar with it because you've read it a thousand times. But to actually believe, believe what the scripture says, it transforms your life forever. Not only your life, but the life around you, your family, and not only them, but the entire world. The world right now is completely upside down. Our job is to turn it right side up. That's what we need to do. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it like Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and say, we're all in. We refuse to shrink back. We're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Show my faith by what I do. Faith always requires action. It always requires action. What does that look like in your life? On a daily basis, that action. It's very easy to get into the mundane type of things, getting pulled left and right by the world, work, whatever it might be. We're supposed to demonstrate our faith by what we do. You know why? Because Jesus did the same thing. He demonstrated by what he did. He not only talked about it, but he did it. Let's turn to our feet.